Well, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, we're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and the plan is to fulfill the will of the Father. He's come to die and rise again. He's come to pay for the sin of the world and then rise again, conquering death. As he nears Jerusalem, he is continuing to teach. The time is short. He's going to go to the cross very soon. He wants his disciples to understand some of these great truths and these great things. In this section of the Gospel of Luke, we're seeing some powerful teaching. In fact, there's truths that we see over and over throughout the Scripture, throughout the Word of God, truths concerning salvation and eternal life and entering the kingdom. We must understand to enter the kingdom of God, to have eternal life, comes simply by faith in Jesus Christ. It is not by works. It is by faith in Jesus. It is not by what we do. and It is not by our righteousness. Our salvation is not based on us. It is based on Jesus Christ. It is as we come to God in childlike faith, in helplessness, trusting Christ to save us. We cannot save ourselves. Last time we saw a contrast, this is before Easter, but last time we saw this contrast between the Pharisee who in pride trusted in himself and then the tax collector who in humility trusted the grace and the mercy of God. This morning, two things. I want you to see these two aspects. One is we're going to see some parents are bringing their children to Jesus to be blessed. And we see what happens because what does Jesus say? And we see the idea of childlike faith. Then the second thing is we're going to see the rich young ruler. It's a very famous passage. He asks a question to Jesus. Sometimes the, what he asks is confusing or how he asks it. And then Jesus answers. People look at the answer and go, wait a minute. That, that's, that's not what I thought Jesus would say, and we'll see it as we go through it. We want to be clear on how we can approach God for salvation, and we want to understand that eternal life comes simply as a gift by faith. So we'll see these things as we go through. Now, have you ever heard someone say that, oh, he's a good person, that's a good man, or he or she is such a good person? Well, the truth is this, that people are not good. We may sometimes do good things, and, but we learn from the Word of God that all people are sinners. All have come short of God's glory. There's none righteous, no, not one. In fact, in ourselves that we are sinful and fallen. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. People are not good. We come into this world dead in trespasses and sins. We must pe- teach people to try to do good. We don't have to teach people to do wrong. We naturally do wrong. Now, there's only one that is good. And that is our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is God. He is perfectly righteous. He is the holy set-apart one. He alone is good. This morning, we're going to see what we call is the rich young ruler. The man comes to Jesus, and he calls Jesus good. He says, good teacher. That's what he calls him. How does Jesus answer this? Is some great truth in this passage. Let me tell you, we want to be encouraged and challenged from this study. Well, let's begin. Let's see where we are. Jesus is near Jerusalem. Remember, he left the northern part of Israel. He's coming to Jerusalem. That's going to be the place of his death. He'll go to the cross. He'll die on the cross. He'll pay for sin. He'll be buried. He'll rise again. He is going to be the substitute and the sacrifice for our sins. And uh, Jesus continues to teach, and that's what he's been doing. It's ongoing. There's a theme that we've been seeing in this last section, these last three to four chapters. There's an ongoing theme, and that is how does a person approach God? How can a person have eternal life? Is it by what we do, our works or our goodness, or is it by faith? Is it in humility we trust in Jesus Christ? Now, last time we saw a contrast, a contrast between the religious Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, let me remind you of something. 
If you'd have lived at that time and you saw the Pharisee, you would have thought the Pharisee was the good man. You would have said the Pharisee tries to keep the law. He tries to do the good things. In fact, he's better than all of us. And so we would say he's the one that's right before God. When we saw the tax collector, we would say, not a good man. No, no, no. We don't like tax collectors. They work for the Roman government. In fact, how many people like tax collectors today? We don't. And so we would look at that guy and say, we don't like him. But what we found out last time is that the Pharisee trusted in himself. Let's look at, look at chapter 18. Look at verse 11. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God... I thank you that I'm not like other people. He says, you know what? I'm so glad I'm not like other people because I'm better than other people. Notice he says, I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector that's standing over there. I'm glad I'm not like them. What does he do? He says, well, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Here is a man who is trusting in his good works and saying, I'm better than most people. I'm doing what's right. We see the tax collector. The tax collector knew that he was a sinner, knew that he needed a Savior, and he trusted in the grace and the mercy of God. Look at verse 13. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Now, you have on one hand one who is a religious person who thinks he's right before God because he's done good. And we have another person who knows he's a sinner and he knows he's not right before God and he's dependent on the grace and the mercy of God for salvation. Well, which one was saved? Which one was justified? The passage goes on to say, Jesus tells in verse 14, I tell you, this man, talking about the tax collector, this man went to his house justified. That means to be declared right before God rather than the other. Why? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever humbles himself before God and says, I know it's not myself, there's not one thing I can do, I trust in Jesus and Him alone, there's salvation. But whoever says, hey, I've done the right things, I'm doing the best that I can, I've done this and this and this, will be humbled. How do we get to God? Not in what we do, not in our works, not in our righteousness, not in our goodness, but simply by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, as we continue this morning, we're going to see two things, and it all flows in this. We're going to see parents bringing their babies to Jesus to be blessed by Him. And the, and the, and the, the, the disciples say, oh, no, 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 no. Get, get away, get away. And we're going to see what Jesus says, because He's going to use that example of childlike faith, of coming to God, not in ourselves, but just trusting in God. And that's what we're going to see there. Then we're going to see a famous passage, which we just read a while ago, and if you read it along, you thought, whoa, that's, that's a little bit hard there. That doesn't exactly add up, because a rich young ruler is dependent on his works, and he comes to Jesus and basically says, what can I do to gain or inherit eternal life? And we see what Jesus says. Sometimes it's confusing, but you need to see the flow of the passage. Let's break down the passage for this morning. First thing, we're going to see the bringing the children to Jesus. Hey, he's rebuked by the disciples. I mean, they're bringing these children, and the disciples say, hey, hey, don't do that. Jesus says, wait a minute, don't stop them from coming. And then he talks about entering the kingdom as a child then the second part of this is the rich young ruler and the ruler asks jesus a question we see jesus answer which surprises us a little bit when we look at it until we see the flow he says keep the law the ruler's response is sadness he's a very wealthy man we'll talk about it and then we see jesus teaches concerning the kingdom so there's a lot of great things in this passage and and we'll see it as we go through now let's start with this let's start first with bringing the children to jesus as we're going to see now as we realize jesus loves people 
and he loves the children. And we're going to see that in this passage there are two words. There's one for babies. They're actually bringing little infants, but it also he talks about children, which could be little children, little boys, little girls. They could even be older than that, but the idea is small children. And we're going to see that they're coming. The parents are bringing them to Jesus. Let's see what happens. Look at verse 15, chapter 18. Now, they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. Now, they were their families and people. And you remember, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. There are a lot of people following him around. There are people who see him coming. They've heard about what he's done, how he fed people, how he's healed people. Some people even say that he's the Messiah, the King. There's some people believing in him. But a lot of people are coming and they've got their children and they thought, you know, I'm going to go up to that teacher, that rabbi, and I'm going to let him touch my baby. I mean, that way it's like, you know, a blessing. And that's what happened a lot of times. Some of the famous teachers, some of the rabbis, people would bring their children to them and they would hold their children and bless the child and that kind of thing. So this is what the parents were wanting to do. They were bringing, that says they were even bringing their babies to him so that he would touch them. But, notice, when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. Now the word rebuke there is a really strong word. It means strong disapproval. It's like they said, hey, 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 wait a minute. What do you think you're doing? Get back over there. Don't, bring, don't bother Jesus. Did you see he's busy? See, you might think that they would go up to Jesus and some of the disciples say, oh, excuse us. Don't bother him right now. They didn't do that. They went, hey, what do you think you're doing? Get back over there. We're not, you're not going to bring those children up there. It's a very strong rebuke. You can see those parents bringing those children and those disciples going, Get back. What do you think you're doing? He's too busy. He's got other things to do. Was Jesus too busy for children? Jesus is never too busy for anyone. He'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? He loves you with an everlasting, unconditional love. He is the provider, protector. He is our God and our Savior. And He loves every person. And I want you to understand every life. No matter how little or how big or how young or how old, every life is valuable to Jesus. He died on the cross to pay for the sins of every human being. He wants everyone to have eternal life. So here they're bringing these children up here and the disciples are really getting on them and saying, Get back, get back. But notice what Jesus does. But Jesus called for them. When it says call for them, he's talking about calling for the families, calling for the children, saying, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, I'm reading New American Standard. This is how it says it. I'm going to show you something else in just a minute. But it says, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, it's a strong contrast. He actually says, whoa, wait a minute. Tell the kids to come here. Come here. Bring them. Do not stop bringing these children, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He's saying that this is how you enter the kingdom. The kingdom is like for children. Literally, here's what it says. The kingdom is such as these. That's what it says. The kingdom of God is such as these. It says to be a part of the kingdom, you have to come like a child. You have to come with childlike faith. The childlike faith is they're coming to Jesus, not in what they do. But they're just coming to Jesus because who He is and what He's done. That's how we approach God. Not on what we do, not what we've done, not what we're going to do. We approach God in childlike faith saying, it's not what I do or ever do. I'm trusting in Jesus and Him alone. He is the Savior. This is how we come to God. We come in helplessness. We come in childlike faith. That's what He's talking about. Simply faith in Christ. Some people think that's too easy. Some people say, well, what do you got to do? You trust in Jesus and Him alone. Got to be more than that. No, you can't do more than that. You can't do anything. 
You take the gift of eternal life. Jesus Christ died and rose again and paid for sins. The righteousness of man is filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. Anything you try to do is worthless. You cannot do it. So he says, wait a minute, don't stop the kids coming to me. For such, for the kingdom of God is such as these. And then he says something that is very powerful. Listen to what he says. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Now he says truly. Now he starts off with, with a word that is a pretty famous word. It's A-M-E-N. It, in, in the Greek it's, it's just amen. And it means truth. It's transliterated from a Hebrew word, A-M-E-N, which is pronounced aman, which means belief or truth. That's why at the end of a prayer, and when you say, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen doesn't mean it's over. Amen means this is truth. So when you say, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, this is truth. Jesus says, truly, amen, listen, I say to you, and when he says something like that, that means, listen carefully, this is very important. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, as childlike faith, will not enter it at all. If you do not receive the kingdom as a child, you can't enter. In fact, the only way we can enter the kingdom is in childlike faith. That's the only way you can be saved. There are people that we come in contact with every day. There may be people in this room today who believe that by your goodness, by your works, trying to go to, you know, trying to live a good life, trying to keep the Ten Commandments, trying to, you know, getting baptized, trying to go to church, giving money, doing something, just trying to be a good person, that somehow you're going to get to God. You cannot. You enter the kingdom of God. You have eternal life, not by what you do. But in childlike faith, you come to Jesus trusting in Him and Him alone. It is that simple. And that's why in the Bible, Jesus will say, Whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. It is that simple. Jesus is the Savior. We are not the Savior. We trust in Him and Him alone. It's powerful truth. We saw it. What does the tax collector do? tax collector came to Jesus and said, Not me. Head down. I won't even look up to the top. In your mercy, save me. What did the religious guy do? Say, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. Look at all the stuff I've done. You cannot approach God on what you've done. Because your words are filthy rags. We're going to see it more because the next statement, we're going to see the rich young ruler comes and he wants to approach God based on what he's done. We'll see it as we go through it. So it's very powerful that Jesus said the only way that you can enter the kingdom of heaven, the only way you can be with God forever is to come in childlike faith. To come like a child. That's the only way you can enter. If you don't enter that way, you're not going to enter it at all. Now following this is the rich young ruler. And we're going to see what he does. He's the opposite of the child. He comes trusting in what he's done. He says, I've kept the law, and that's what he wants to do. We need to read it carefully because sometimes it's misunderstood. Look at verse 18. A ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we call this, in fact, most of your Bibles and people, we always say the rich young ruler. And you say, well, it just says ruler. What, what does it mean? Well, let's start with this. The word ruler was a word that had an idea of a person in a leadership position. And most likely, this man may have been a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a ruling body in Israel made up of about 70 leaders, oldest to youngest. When one of them would die, they would decide who would be added to the group. 
And it could be that this man, and that would be very powerful if he was, when it says a ruler, most likely a member of the Sanhedrin. We call him young because in Matthew 19, verse 20, he says he was a young man. Now, it's very unusual that a young man could be a ruler in Israel, but he is. And then this passage goes on to show us that he was very wealthy. So that's why throughout history people have always called this the rich young ruler. Okay? Now, he comes to Jesus, notice, a ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? If you, if you go fast, you'll miss the whole thing, because it looks like he's just saying, How do I get to go to heaven? That's not what he's asking. We'll see it in just a minute. Two things I want you to focus on. Number one, he calls Jesus good. And number two, he says, What must I do? That's the key. Well, let's look at the first thing. He calls Jesus good. Jesus really asked him back, why do you call me good? Listen to this. A a ruler questioned him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, when he comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher, Jesus says, why are you calling me good? Because we all know, is any human being good? There's none righteous, no, not one. You know, when you read that in Romans, Paul didn't write that. He's taken that from an Old Testament passage. They knew that there was none righteous, no, not one. That this rich young ruler, if you'd have said, does the Scripture say that there's nobody good? He would say, that's right. But he comes to Jesus and calls him good. So Jesus said, if you're going to call me good, you must be calling me God because only God is good. So look what Jesus says to him. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. Now what Jesus really wants to do, and of course Jesus knows everything, but Jesus is turning it back to him. And is the man going to say, yeah, you are good. You're God. I believe you're God. That man doesn't say that at all. In fact, this man believes that Jesus is a good man. He also believes that he's a good man. He's just paying Jesus a compliment. Good teacher, I'm a good man, and you're a good man. Jesus said, you can't call me good, because there's only one good one, and that's God. No man is good. Then we get to the second thing, and that is, what must I do. Now notice, in verse 18 again, the ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In the Gospel of Matthew, it actually says, What good thing do I do to inherit eternal life? Now the person is not saying, By the way, Jesus, I'd like to go to heaven. How do you get to heaven? He's not asking that. He's asking Jesus, What are the good things that he can do in order to have eternal life? That'd be like you saying, what is it that I can do? What are the good things I can do in order to live good enough that God will get me to heaven? We know the answer to this. There's not anything you can do. You can't be good enough. Now, here's the bottom line. If a person wants to be saved by his good works, then you have to be perfect. You have to be perfect. You have to keep the law perfectly. You have to do nothing wrong. In fact, if a person wants to be saved by good works, then they must be perfect. Keep the law perfectly. Do everything right. I've had people come in my office and I say to them, let me ask you a question. If you were to die, would you go to heaven? Oh, yes, I, I will. Why? Because I've, liked, I've tried to live a good life. And you know what I ask them? How good? Well, pretty good. And I say, are you perfect? And they go, well, no. I said, you ain't going to make it. Not going to make it. See, if you say, I'm going to try to get to heaven by being good, you have to be perfect. 
You have to keep the law perfectly. You have to do everything exactly right. You have to go everything in the Scripture that says rights and wrongs. You have to keep it completely. Now, this was a Jewish person under the Mosaic law. So he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, good teacher. Well, don't call me good. I'm, there's only one that's good. Recognize who I am. If you're going to call me good, you have to recognize that I'm God. And then he says, what good thing must I do? Well, Jesus is going to answer him exactly the way he asked the question. If you say, what good thing must I do? Jesus said, okay. Keep the law perfectly. If you're going to be good enough to go to heaven by what you do, then you must keep the law perfectly. And that's exactly how Jesus answers him. Look at verse 20. He says, well, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And so Jesus begins to list some of the top ten commandments. There were 613 commandments that the nation of Israel had. We always think about the ten commandments. That's the top ten. That was the first ten given. Then he gave them 600 and something more, 613 total. And so Jesus starts with the top ten commandments. Now, let me tell you, in the ten commandments, they're divided into two parts. The first four commandments deal with a relationship with God. The second six commandments deal with relationship to others. Jesus goes to the second six, and he lists five of the six. There's a reason. Look what he says. Do not commit adultery. One, do not murder. Two, do not steal. Three, do not bear witness. Four, honor your father and mother. Five, there's actually one more. It's the very end one. It's thou shalt not covet. Jesus leaves that one out for a minute. He says, well, you know the commandments. You're going to be good enough to get to God, then don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. If you're going to be good enough to get to heaven, you've got to keep the law perfectly. So how about these five? Now, what we're going to see is his answer is just like that Pharisee. Because remember, the Pharisee was standing up there and said, I'm glad I'm not like those people over there and that tax collector over there. I, I do my tithes and I do my stuff and I keep my fasting and I'm, I'm keeping the law. So Jesus said, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. What does he say? And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. Now, he's saying, from the time I was a boy, I have done it perfectly. Now, had he? Nobody does. Let me tell you, when you think about law, when you think about requirements, there's a dual aspect of it. There's the, there's the outward, like, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. You, you could say, okay, I've never committed adultery. I've never stolen. I've never murdered. But there's also the inward part, the part of the mind. You remember what Jesus said when he was talking about the Sermon on the Mount and some other things? He said, don't say that I've not committed adultery because if you've looked at a woman with lust, you have committed what? Adultery. And he said, if you've hated somebody, that's murder. Because, see, we may say, well, I've never actually murdered anybody, but if I was real mad because somebody cut me over, I said, boy, I'm going to get you one of these. I hate that guy. You just, you just murdered. You did. See? And so this man says, well, outwardly, uh, I have not committed adultery. Outwardly, I have not murdered. Outwardly, I have not stolen. But what about inwardly? And see, what Jesus wants this guy to do is to say, oh, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're saying i got to keep all this perfectly? Yeah. What Jesus wants him to say is, I, I can't do that. Nobody can do that. And then Jesus said, that's exactly right. You can't do anything to gain eternal life. Just faith in Christ. That's what he wants them to say. But the guy doesn't say that. God says, all these things I have kept from my youth. I've, I've been pretty good. I've done it. Now, there's one other area 
Remember I told you he did five of the six commands of that part? The sixth one is thou shalt not covet. It has to do with things. It has to do with wanting things. It has to do with money and possessions and things and wanting something. And this man loves his money. We can see that in the passage. We won't see it right this second. But he loves his money. He loves his stuff. And so Jesus is going to make him think for a minute. And so look what he says, verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, Well, okay, good job. One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. He said, well, okay, we, you did pretty good. You say you got those five of those six commandments. Here, let's go number ten, the sixth one on that list. Just, you got a lot of money. Just give it all away. Let's just sell it all. Give everything away. Give it to the poor and then just follow me. You got it made. You'll have even treasure in heaven. See, what Jesus wants him to do is to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I can't do that. I can't do that. You can't do it is exactly right. You can't keep it. What Jesus wants this guy to recognize is, wait a minute, I can't do that. And I, I haven't been good enough. I can't do this. And then he would say to Jesus, well, I can't do this and Jesus save you, but I can. I can save you. You can't, but I can. See, all of us need to recognize that it's not our goodness and, and works and anything that we've ever done or ever do that's going to get us to heaven. We can't say, I've tried to live a good life. You have to say, I have lived a perfect life, and then I can go to heaven. You can't do it. All of us have to say, I can't do it. And that's why you have to have a Savior. And this man said, Jesus, what must I do because I think I've done it? And Jesus said, how about those things? I've done them. How about this one? And he goes, well, wait a minute, now you're getting really personal because you're talking about my money. You're talking about my stuff. You're talking about my stuff. Look what it says happened. Verse 23. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. Why? Because he was extremely rich. Matthew 9.22 actually tells us that when he heard all this, he got sad, he was grieved, and then he left. He went away. He didn't say to Jesus, what are you talking about? I can't, nobody can do that. Nobody can do all this. That's what Jesus wanted him to say. But he didn't. He doesn't trust Christ. He says, I'm not giving up my stuff. I don't understand. I'm not, I can't do all this. And before he leaves, Jesus looked at him and said, verse 24, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. You know why? Because they trust in their works. They trust in their, their riches. They trust in that. They don't come with childlike faith. They trust in what they have and what they've done. Now the truth is, how hard is it for anyone, whether they're rich or poor, to enter in the kingdom of God? We're going to see the answer in just a second. Because look what he goes on to say. He gives an illustration. For it is easier, verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, Luke wrote this, and he was a doctor, and he uses a surgical needle, and he says, like a little needle with a little bitty hole in it, he says, it's easier for a camel to go through that little hole, a real camel to go through that hole, than for a rich man to save himself. Now, if you looked at that, what would you say? You think it's it's possible at all for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? What's the answer? No, you say that's impossible. You can't. A camel can't go through that. That's exactly right. It is impossible 
for a rich man to save himself. It is impossible for a poor man to save himself. It is impossible for any person to save themselves. That's what he's getting at. And listen, the people listening to him, because they're listening to him tell the story to that guy, they know exactly what he's saying. Look at the next verse, verse 26. They understood it. They said, they who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? Listen, if, if it'd be easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle, which is impossible, so it's impossible for a person, a rich man to be saved, then, then it's in, who can be saved? It's impossible for any man to be saved, to save themselves. It's true. The answer is you're exactly right. It is impossible for a person to save themselves. But look at verse 27. But he said, the things that are impossible with people, it's impossible for any person to save themselves, are possible with God. I want you to see, it's not possible with people. It's impossible for a person to save themselves, but it is possible with God because God is the one who is the Savior. God is the one who sent the Son, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He paid for sin. He rose again. He gives eternal life as a gift to all who believe. It's only possible through Christ. It is not possible through us. He is the one who saves both the rich and the poor because it is impossible for any human being to save themselves. God gives the, it, the gift of eternal life not based on our works because you can't ever do good enough works. We cannot ever be good enough. We cannot keep the law. It's impossible for us to save ourselves, but it's possible only. Through Jesus Christ. What have we seen? We've seen that these children were being brought to Jesus. And the disciples said, stop it. And Jesus said, no, no, no. Let them come. This is how you come. You have to come like a child. If you don't come like a child, you don't come. Rich young ruler came just the opposite of a child and says, what about that I do? What, what must I do? And actually he says, what good works must I do in order to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, oh, you want to be good enough to get to heaven? Okay, keep all the commandments. He said, I've done them all. He said, well, what about number 10? And he went, well, I ain't doing that one. I'm not doing that. I'm not. And he wanted, Jesus wanted him to say, I can't do it. And Jesus would say, but I can. I can save you. But he didn't, and he left. It's impossible for people to save themselves. Let me tell you, if you're out there and you think, okay, I'm going to try to go to heaven and I'm going to try to live a good life and I'm going to try to do the best that I can and I'm, I got baptized when I was young, I've gone to church, I'm going to do this, I'm trying to be a good person. If you think that has anything to do with you going to heaven, it is impossible for you to save yourself. The only way you can be saved is Jesus Christ. Let me give you some applications. The first one is this. Approach God in childlike faith for salvation. The only way of salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. It is not our works or our goodness or our righteousness. It is Jesus and Him alone. A, it is impossible for a person to be saved by His works or goodness. You've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. There's, the works of man are, are filthy rags. We cannot keep the law. We cannot be, live the perfect life. It is impossible for us to be saved. We cannot be good enough. We cannot save ourselves. B, it is possible to be saved only by God's provision, Jesus Christ. He came and died and rose again, and He gives eternal life as a gift by faith. It is that simple. It is not what you do. Sometimes when people, when you tell them it's just faith alone and Christ alone, they say, it's too easy. What do I have to do? The truth is, you can't do anything. They're asking the same question as the rich young ruler. What do I have to do? Okay, you want to do it? Be perfect. Well, I can't be perfect. Okay, you need a Savior. 
It is possible only by Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Acts 4, 12, there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby we might be saved except Jesus Christ. He's the only way. Faith alone in Christ alone. C, so trust Jesus Christ, God's provision for eternal life by faith alone in Christ alone. Galatians 2.16 is not by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 3.26, we are children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. It is not works. It is not what we do. It is who we trust. If you, I hope, I hope and pray, every one of you in this room, if somebody came to you and said, if you were to die now, would you go to heaven? I hope every one of you in this room would say yes. And if they said why, you would say, because I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. He is the only way. I can't ever save myself. It's impossible. Jesus is the Savior. If you're thinking anything else other than Jesus today, right where you're sitting, you need to stop and say, Lord, I, I understand that in myself I can't save myself. So I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again. I believe that he is the one who saves me. And I'm trusting him and him alone for eternal life. I hope and pray every one of you in this room, when you walk out those doors, that you have eternal life, not by what you've done, but because of Jesus Christ. May we trust God's provision for our salvation, Jesus Christ, knowing that it is not possible to save ourselves by our good works, but it is only possible by faith in Jesus Christ, who is the Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you, Lord, for these great truths. Lord, we realize the only way to approach you is childlike faith for salvation. That's how we come. Not trusting anything we do, but trusting you. Lord, we know it is impossible for a person to be saved by our works or goodness. We know it's only possible to be saved through Jesus Christ and by faith in him. I hope and pray, Lord, that everyone in this room will trust Jesus Christ as Savior, him and him alone for eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for these truths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.